The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 196. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position heroes. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelsy! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, Vincent and the Doctor. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Uh, Folks, if you can uh, take some time, please go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Your reviews help us immensely reaching new audiences. So go over there, leave us a nice five-star review, some nice words. We really appreciate it. And, of course, share the podcast with your friends or will be interested in talking about Doctor Who or listening to others talk about Doctor Who, and that helps us grow our community. So we're talking about this 11th Doctor story, as I mentioned, the Vincent and the Doctor that from uh, the uh, June of 2010 it came out. It, it featured, it's the 10th episode of that first season. It's where getting very close to the end of the 11th Doctor's first season. And this is a story about, and it's, this is, I think, I think it's one of the most popular new Who stories out there. Mm -hmm. Maybe I say that from an anecdotal evidence, but I know a lot of people really like this. Well, I I would definitely say the ending is probably one of the most popular endings in new Who, that's for sure. You see that crop up all the time on the the Doctor Who fan sites and Facebook pages and so on. I think it, it's also, and this is anecdotal, of course, but I think it's also one of the, certainly one of the most popular historical figure mm-hmm. stories compared yes. to like meeting Shakespeare or meeting Agatha Christie. This is considered on a different level. Oh, yeah. Okay, that that makes me, th- uh, reminds me that I wanted to say, um, I'm going to get on my historicals hobby horse and say, this is <laughs> one that should totally have been a pure historical Without didn't need a monster. It could have been the Doctor and Amy and Vincent, and it would have been a great story without the monster. I think it could have been. Uh-huh. I'd agree with that. I wonder about that. I would be interested to see what it would have been. I mean, I agree the monster is the weak point in right. this one. The mo- it, really, you have the main plot wrap up early mm-hmm. because the ending is the thing that sells this. Before right. the ending, it's not as great as it as. You know, I mean, there are elements that set up for that ending that we need, but it's it's it, the running around with the monster is is not the strongest part of it. But I would want to know what you'd replace that with if it was a pure historical. And you could because because you yeah. need more than just the Vincent being bipolar and but, bouncing back and forth between whimpering in his bed and being outgoing. I think you could have played up the whole aspect of the fact that he didn't see himself as a great artist and no one of his time appreciated him. And yet the idea that he is going to be great and and maybe uh, played where the doctor and Amy encourage him to continue. 
to to do his art and they and they are i mean we do complain sometimes about how the doctor makes you know the great people of history into the great people of history by his encouragement those sorts of mm-hmm. things where the doctor's responsible for great things but there could have been this idea of the doctor and amy saving him from not pre- that you know the greatest single outpouring of artistic endeavor in history that he that he wouldn't have had uh, apart from meeting the doctor and amy i mean there could have been aspects of that mm-hmm. and there there kind of were i mean already yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the sunflowers uh, turn out to be entirely Amy's idea. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, it could have been. I mean, I, you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, screenwriter, so I, I don't know exact, you know, what would be great, but I think it would have been good. It, I can see potential there. As it was, I had, I had some problems with Vincent going. Yeah, I know this picture is terrible and so forth, uh, it, because he's clearly passionate about his work and his right. style, and otherwise he wouldn't have done this stuff. And there are artists who, and as an artist myself, I mean, I went to the Arkansas Governor's School in Fine Art, and so I know what it's like to do a piece of art and look back on it later and go, eh, not so great. Yeah. But you don't feel that way regularly and keep producing. What happens is you become like H.P. Lovecraft, where you get so discouraged at looking back at your back catalog that you stop producing and a man in the middle of his most productive year is not going to be feeling my work is, is, is no good. He's, that's when he's going to be up on it. I suppose uh, an artist might say, Oh, you know, cause he's this whole thing about like, I see, we'll talk about it, I guess when we get into it, Mm -hmm. I, I, I hear colors and can't you hear it? And he's so passionate about it that he just gets, you know, overwhelmed with, I, I can't, adequately express in my art what it is i'm seeing and and experiencing and there could be some of that but yeah Mm -hmm. just like it's junk and nobody should want any of it that Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to ring well and that's that's definitely part of his his uh bipolar i mean right because he's he's almost obsessive in his having to paint it you know i have to do this but then he hits that point of where he's getting depressed he's getting down Mm -hmm down the downward swing of the bipolar and also like it's all crap right right i have to say by the way that one of the things that makes this episode so great is not well the ending i'm gonna i'm kind of just a little bit of a spoil of the ending but everyone's seen this so i'm sure so <laughs> uh, but what's powerful isn't just that van gogh got to, and i'm gonna say van gogh because that's just how i've always said it because that's know it's not the, the, right that's the standard american pronunciation even in this episode they pronounce mm-hmm. it two different ways yes the museum curator, the uncredited Dr. Black, pronounces it Van Gogh, and yeah. and Matt Smith and Vincent Van Gogh himself pronounce it Van Gogh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, will, but, I will say it the, my way. <laughs> I was going to say the Van Gogh sounds more like Gogh. <laughs> yeah. The Klingon food. Well, it's Father certain, Roderick. Certain kinds of which yeah. have legs, and other kinds jump, and others are packed yeah. in blood, and... <laughs> As Father Roderick says, uh, Dutch sounds like Klingon. So, hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, Van Gogh. The, what's powerful with this isn't just that Van Gogh got to see how he and his work were so appreciated in the future. You know, the the greatest artist ever, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the, for the audience, knowing that it didn't make a difference in his, it didn't make his depression just go away. You know, the good feelings, because that's not how mental illness works. Mental mm-hmm. illness is an illness that needs to be treated, and. In that time, he was untreated, and that's what was the tragic, his tragic end as a result of it. 
And so I like the fact that they didn't just go, see, we made his life better by the fact that he was happy. <laughs> like yeah. just making someone happy in a moment doesn't change mental illness. And I, and I think right. that's one of the things that makes this story so strong, so powerful. So let's let's jump into it. I, I do also want to say the, uh, the, the actor, John Curran, who plays uh, Vincent in this, uh, a Scottish character actor, really good. I haven't seen him in a lot of different things, but he was recently in the, the CBS series SEAL Team, where he hmm. played a, uh, a a former Navy SEAL who was also uh, struggling with depression and post-traumatic stress and was suicidal. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, he's played that that sort of character a couple of times, but uh, I really hmm. like John Curran. He plays, I, I like him too as an actor. He plays a very different character. I'm trying to come up with the name. I want to say Odin Reichenbach, and it's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was in the elementary series, mm. uh, playing a playing a villain. Ah, Joshua Vickner was the character he played. He he was the he was he was a big bad. Mm. Yeah, and then I was gonna say the other the other great uh, actor in this, uh, Bill Nye, the great uh, British actor who uh, is in so many different things, but he he does who, great as Doctor Black. And he was offered the part of the Ninth Doctor. Hmm. He, cool. but he turned it down. He he didn't think he was up to the responsibility. That would have been a very interesting ninth doctor. Would have been a whole different, different. new who, I think, if he'd done mm-hmm. it. That would yep. be interesting. Uh so it the the episode begins with a wheat field in France apparently. Um as Van Gogh is painting it, something is moving through the field, something we can't see. Uh, and then it transitions. We see his painting that he's making. Then we transition to the painting itself in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris today. Uh, so we have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Professor or Doctor Black talking about the painting to a group, and he's talking about Van Gogh and says the final portion of his life was one of the most productive out- artistic outpourings in history. What do you guys think of this? Is this lots of hyperbole in this episode about how the significance of Van Gogh? I would personally, in my opinion, you know, of course, you know, I, the beholder and all that, I would say there was a lot of hyperbole. You know, he's the most important artist, the greatest artist, the most appreciated artist. And it's like, I'm not the biggest fan of Van Gogh. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I felt similarly the, and I think this is a writing flaw in historical figure episodes where Mm -hmm. whenever we meet a historical figure, they have to be the most, the best the whatever at whatever it is they're famous for. So right. somehow both Shakespeare and Charles Dickens are the best writer ever. And <laughs> Agatha Christie, she's the best yeah. writer ever too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is the, if we don't stop this ticking time bomb, the entire universe is going to be destroyed. <laughs> that's the equivalent, yes. Same, same, same thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I do like that they walked it back though at the end, when Dr. Black is giving his assessment at the end, he's like, well, to me, he's the greatest painter ever. Mm -hmm. And so they got that qualifier in there. And then also, and he's certainly the most popular. And that, you, uh, uh, and there may have been an extra qualifier there, Mm -hmm. even of the most popular, like the most popular of some class of painters, like classical painters or something. Yep. Right. Because you do see, I mean, Van Gogh tote bags and stuff in a way you don't see Manet tote bags or Raphael tote bags or things like that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing is, yeah, Monet, Da Vinci, mm-hmm. you could, Michelangelo. Da Vinci, those are also, though, yeah. yeah. Da Vinci and Michelangelo, though, you will see. So even there, there's a challenge. Yeah. And I knew lots of 
college dorm rooms that had Monet's impressionists works hanging them for the to get that I'm an intellectual feel out of the, the college <laughs> dorm room. Hmm. So the doctor and Amy are at the museum. They're at the exhibit, and she's suspicious of why the doctor's being so nice to her. And uh, it's clear it's because of the Rory thing. Uh, right. The, mm-hmm. the the fact that we just had Rory disappear from existence. Yeah, so he's now been erased, and she's not even remembering him. Not consciously, but we yeah. have evidence in this episode that she is remembering him subconsciously, yeah. and that plants the seed for his return because the doctor told her nothing's ever really gone as long as you remember it. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to help her remember at the end of the previous episode, right after Rory was wiped from existence. She, he was trying to help her remember as a way of bringing Rory back. Right, right. But he's feeling guilty because as far as he's concerned at this moment, that didn't work and he got Rory killed and she doesn't even remember him. Yes, mm-hmm. and so he's taking it to all these wonderful places. We do get lots of exposition here about how Van Gogh wasn't respected in his time. His paintings were worthless. He was thought to be mad. Uh, just to kind of, it's all this preparation for what we're going to have happen in coming up. Um, and uh, while Amy and uh, the doctor are looking at the painting of the church at Auvers, the doctor sees something that shouldn't be there—an uh, evil face. When I, I I know evil when I see it, he says. Uh, it looked like uh, a shrimp to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It didn't look all that evil, like maybe a, a shrimp chicken or something. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the doctor accosts Dr. Black to find out exactly when the painting was made, uh, which, you know, with, with uh, it's not unbelievable they would know as he, he painted around June 2nd or 3rd of this date. I mean, they, this sort of thing is actually fairly, with, with more recent painters like Van Gogh was, that's not unbelievable. So he and Amy go back in time to find him. Uh, they end up at the the famous. I like the fact that they keep going to places from the paintings. We keep seeing the paintings in the sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had that in my notes too. That I yeah. really love all the create recreations they do of Vincent Van Gogh scenes, and frequently they'll breeze past them without even pointing yep. it out. Right, like the bedroom at Arles. I do have the critique about the uh, the the church though. The church looks absolutely nothing like the one that he painted. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I guess they couldn't build a church to fit the, to fit the, the uh, and they, the actual... they wouldn't actually go to France to find a church that matches. So right. they well, had to use an English one. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that, yeah, the church at Auvers is probably still, still there, but they didn't go there to film it. They probably couldn't get permission. But they go to the cafe terrace at night, the, that, that famous painting. Um, and, and then we have this experience of everyone at the cafe have only bad things to say about Van Gogh. <laughs> you know, he's a rubbish painter. Um, and Van Gogh is trying to pay for his drink with his self-portrait, which is a very famous self-portrait, which is mm-hmm. worth millions today. And so the audience gets to gets to sit there and laugh at the manager who refuses to take it as payment for a drink uh, when it would have set up his descendants for life if he'd, if he'd only taken it. Admittedly, you would have to wait decades to realize that profit. <laughs> right, yep. right. His grandchildren <laughs> would be happy, that's for sure. Can you imagine, though, the way it's treated? It all his paintings are treated in this show. If they were the originals, how much art critics would be just having a heart attack? I know, I know. We'll get to that in a bit. Oh my gosh, yeah, there's a little bit. I got a little palpitation about that, but uh, and, and and you know, of course, spoiler. They're all you know reprints or you know, of course, yeah. someone else painted them to look like his. But it, still, of, I mean, it's just the imagine yeah. the the what what these priceless works of art just being thro- literally thrown around. I would have loved to have seen some behind the scenes with the uh, the prop designers, the set designers, 
on the making of all of these prop paintings. That would have been yeah. a lot of fun to see. So the doctor offers to pay for Van Gogh's drink, and Van Gogh tells him to mind his own business. Uh, a little bit of he's got his pride, you know. So Amy settles everything by saying, I'm buying a bottle of wine, and I'll share it with whom I like. And, of course, the uh, Van Gogh has already noted that Amy is very cute, and so he's, he's, <laughs> he's in for that. They, they discuss whether Van Gogh is planning to paint any churches <laughs> soon. Are you planning to paint any churches, uh, the church shrines, chapels, anything in that religious vein? Subtlety is not the doctor's strong point. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but while, and he says, yeah, I was, there was one church I was thinking about when the weather's right. And that's when a, a woman runs in shrieking about someone being killed. Uh, they find this poor woman who's been mutilated. She's in the street. Her daughter. Uh, her, uh, well, was it, was it her daughter or another woman's daughter? It was, it was very confusing. There was like another woman that runs up. But hmm. it's, I don't think it's all of them. Someone's they, daughter. Someone's daughter. Uh, they blame Vincent's madness for the evil that has descended on their village, which is uh, one of those things that uh, sort of the, the backwards country folk cliche. And they pummeled them with, well, to quote the old David Letterman show, they pelted us with rocks and garbage. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor invites himself and Amy to stay with Vincent for the night. Uh, I, I, like, I kind of like the way he did it. It's like, oh, do you live near here? Yeah, I'm like right over there. Oh, well, thank you. That'll be very nice to, <laughs> to stay with you. Yeah. Like, what? And uh, they go to his home. And as we mentioned, it's filled with his paintings. It's, this, this home is filled with, if it were to be appraised a today, it would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, or priceless. Very much a, a shack, basically. It, yes. It's pretty ramshackle and a disaster. Vanko has a nice line here. He says, it seems to me there's so much more to the world than the average eye is allowed to see. I believe you look hard. There are more wonders in this universe than you could ever have dreamed of. And the doctor agrees, because he's seen them. <laughs> yeah. And then Vincent proceeds to rant maniacally about this very theme for some moments. <laughs> right, right. We have this cut. And uh, then they hear, uh, he's raving about hearing colors, uh, which is uh, interesting. Yeah, so he's got synesthesia. Synesthesia, right. Uh, and they, uh, that's when they hear Amy outside scream. Something hit her from behind, she says. Uh, she also says she went outside to look at some of the paintings in the dark. <laughs> like, come on, we can do better than that, writers. Yeah, I, well, I think she really just was getting tired of his ranting and wanted to go mm. for fresh air. Uh, so Vincent starts freaking out over something that only he can see, uh, the, and he starts swinging a, a, a pitchfork at it. At first, the doctor thinks he's having some kind of uh, fit, some you know mental illness fit, but then he gets knocked around and starts to join the fight, but obviously he can't see whatever it is, and he's swinging at nothing, and so we have some physical comedy there with matt smith and then uh they like uh, so what did it look like you know the doctor wants to know what did it look like so vincent grabs one of his paintings and then paints over it and all the art critics go no well and amy, <laughs> amy and amy and the doctor freak out too when he does it yeah. it's like that's an original not seen in history piece of art there <laughs> yeah. won't see it in history anymore not anymore <laughs> So he paints the uh, the creature on the canvas. And the doctor takes the painting with him to the TARDIS, being followed by the creature. By the way, so that we yep. we have this, we hear the noise of the creature, and we have its viewpoint as it's following. And we see little effects, like, um, and this is something they do rather nicely. Like in the initial yep. fight with the creature in Vincent's backyard, yep, they he we see the effects of the creature on the environment. So Vincent has like a big stick; it's a big forked stick mm -hmm. that he's poking at the creature with and shoving it back, even though we can't see it. But what we can see is he's got like a 
cross like stand that he's drying a shirt on. Yeah. In his lawn. It's like he's hung his laundry out on this thing. And as he pushes the invisible creature back, the invisible creature pushes the shirt stand over. Yep. And right. we also see other things when the creature's going through the streets. We see its effect knocking over things in the street. And at one point when it's chasing the doctor, the doctor runs under an arch. And then yeah. we see the keystone of the arch like yep. get partially knocked out of place by the creature as it fails to duck enough. Right, yep. right, right. Yeah, they do a good job of making the creature seem there uh, in the environment without seeing it. So he, he takes this, this uh, drawing to the TARDIS. And he starts digging around for a gadget that he didn't realize was useful until now. and Got it from a two-headed godmother with bad breath twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious if they'll ever give us the story about the, the, the doctor's godmother. So he, he connects it to the TARDIS and he, he holds the painting. Well, first he shows it, his, makes a face at it, and it identifies him as the doctor. So it's some sort of identification device. Yep. And Prince of Pictures. And starts printing out the classic doctors. It's yeah. Like you see the first and second doctor show up. Hartnell and, yeah. Pla- and Troughton show up on printouts. It's like an, those apps on your iPhone. What is this thing? Yeah, yep. exactly. It's like, what's the, the, <laughs> the Google app there. Uh, so the uh, machine, though, can't identify the painting that Vincent did because it's an impressionist. Oh, those impressionists. Why can't you be more realistic? <laughs> this would not have been a problem with Gainsborough. <laughs> So the doctor takes the device outside, and suddenly it, it pops up and says, oh, Crofaeus. And he says, oh, you took you long enough. And then he, But it's, all, it, it's not that it took too long. It's that it's standing behind him and looking in the mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he can only see it in the mirror. Just, just like a Gorgon, yeah. That's right. Yep. I, uh, I like, so the creature looks like an evil lizard parrot bear. And and I like how in this episode they hang a lantern on that because when he shows the impressionist, you know, sketch of the Crefeus to the device, the first thing it shows him is a parrot. Right. And 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 he says, No, there's lots of those and they're not this. And then it shows him a polar bear. (laughs) Right. So evil lizard parrot bear. (laughs) Lizard parrot bear, I think weren't those an avatar? The last airbender? (laughs) Yeah. It's a sort of a weird griffinish sort of thing. So um, the the Crefea starts chasing him through the village, and you have this funny like he can only see it in the rearview mirror, chasing him. Mm-hmm. Sort of a so we have a sort of Jurassic Park moment here. Things in the mirror. Uh, it would have been funny if it said uh, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they're they're even like you know the type of mirror you'll see like on a semi truck, a larger re- right. reverse mirror. You know, that's right. Uh, that he flips back and forth. Yeah, on either side of him. So he runs around a corner, he's trying to lose the creature, and then uh, when he peeks back to see if he'd lost it, the Amy is standing there and scares him, which is, <laughs> makes a little jump scare for everyone, in, including the audience. Uh, so they go back to Vincent's house, and by now it's morning, uh, and they, they wake up Vincent. He's laying in his the bedroom at Arles. Uh, so and, uh, Amy has filled the courtyard with sunflowers, uh, and they discuss the merits of sunflowers, and he doesn't particularly like them. Because they're they're hard to paint. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and uh, they they're they're like humans, like they're they're simultaneously living and dying. He says, and uh, they're kind of yeah. uh, creepy, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Unusual uh, perspective. Also, at this point, the doctor's getting cold feet because it's sunk in on him that if Vincent dies, history is messed up. 
Right. And now that they've met this monster, there's a real danger. Even it's like, okay, you came here to find an evil face, dude. Yes. You you kind of knew there was going to be a problem, but it but it is in any event sinking in on the doctor and he's he at this point wants to start keeping Vincent out of the action. Right. Mm-hmm. Cuz he 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 ta- he describes the Crefeus as their pack creatures. Um this one is abandoned by its pack and they're incredibly cruel and and uh, evil so he, they kind of they keep building up this idea that these are very vicious cruel creatures uh so that when we get to the end it we have that reversal that's coming it's very da- very dangerous situation but vincent is not to be deterred and so they're going to go to paint the church um but before they go that this is actually when the doctor finds vincent in one of his uh um uh, what's the uh, word that he's uh, Moods. Pol- bipolar yeah and he's sort of in the in the down Depressive part of phase. the of, Different, yes, um, and he's weeping in his bed because he, he's heard the doctor say, "Well, as soon as we're done, we'll get out of your hair." And so he's he's go- they're going to leave him. Um, it's so clear you cannot help, and when you leave, and everyone always leaves, I will be left once more with an empty heart and no hope. Yeah, and you were, and this is part of the mental illness, but it's like Vincent, you were the one dude who said they could stay only one night, <laughs> right? Yeah, yes, the. Sometimes with the mental illness, you don't make a lot of sense no. on these sorts of things. So the uh, the doctor and Amy are going to take uh, take care of the creature, as in get rid of it. Uh, but Vincent shows up and is fine and ready to go. Like so, he's quickly had this switch, uh, this bipolar switch. As they walk to the church, uh, Vincent tells Amy that despite what she tells him, he he hears the song of her sadness uh, and and know and knows that she recently lost someone. And she says, "No, no, I'm not sad." And then, "Why are you crying?" And there's a tear right. coming down. So she is, and she realizes at that moment she is crying. So yeah, she's she's not in touch with her feelings at this moment. Right. It's a it's an interesting insight again. Once again, one of these super geniuses of of world history, like Shakespeare, who has these insights, like doctor like insights into others. And it's interesting too that the idea of this this time crack is that it wipes out whoever from history they never existed. And right. yet there's still that connection with between Amy and Rory right. that she doesn't even recognize. Like, yes. you, like you said at the beginning of the show, it's subconscious. It's you know, it's mm-hmm. deep inside her, but she it's still there. Partly because she's a time traveler, maybe, like the doctor remembers. She grew up next to a time crack in her bedroom. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh that'll that'll mess with you. <laughs> so on the way to the church, they meet the funeral procession for the girl who had been murdered, because they're obviously coming from the funeral at the church. That was a quick funeral. I guess back then you had well, to hold really you, quick. they yeah they <laughs> formaldehyde was in low supply. Yes, yep. yes, I was just realizing that. So uh, while Vincent paints the church, the doctor can't stop talking about oh, oh, watching. Oh, before Vincent paints the church, we get a look at Chekhov's easel spike because <laughs> right. when when we get a nice extreme close up of the spike on the bottom of one of the legs of Van Gogh's easel. Going into the grass. That's right. That's right. And it's like, okay, we're going to see that spike again. <laughs> That's pretty sharp. I wonder what that would do to someone if they got hit with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's then there's a little uh, prefigurement where the doctor looks up and you see St. George and the dragon. Yes. Yeah. St. George is stabbing the dragon. Well, yep. I think it's St. Michael because uh, he had wings. It's Oh, I didn't notice the wings. I had St. George and the dragon in my notes too, but I also mentally noted it could be Michael and the devil. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's so, one of one of the two. The only, only reason why I went to St. George was just because, again, it's usual. English church. Yes, yeah. although it's France, so. 
Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's originally still English church. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's before, and now we see that when the doctor actually goes into the church. Right. Before that, there's a there's a sequence where just like before, the doctor was being patient and Vincent was ranting about art. Yes. Now Vincent is being patient painting. Yes. And the doctor, as like a little hyperactive child, is bored and is ranting about anything. Yes. Because he's so <laughs> bored. And then when Vincent finally sees the face of the Crefeus in the church window, the doctor forbids Amy to come after him and tells her to watch Vincent, you know, yes. to protect him because he's gotten concerned for Vincent's safety now. And as soon as the doctor is gone, Vincent says, will you follow him? And Amy's like, of course, which is <laughs> yeah. like so ace of her. Yes. Yep. And Vincent says, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all love Amy. Come on. Uh, so uh, the, uh, I do like the things that the doctor says about while he's bored. He's like, yes, paint, do painting. I remember watching Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. Wow. What a whinger. I kept saying to him, look, if you're scared of heights, you shouldn't, you shouldn't yep. take the job then. And Picasso, what a ghastly old goat. I kept telling him, concentrate, Pablo. It's one eye, either side of the face. <laughs> <laughs> just, and they, they're like, shush, just be quiet. I'm like, wow, this is like yeah. me with one of my kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. <So> <laughs> well, then the doctor makes a comment about this is how time normally passes. Yeah. <laughs> right. All in order. Yeah, we'll see this next season when he does the thing with the little black boxes. Uh, and he spends the, the, uh, spends the day with Amy and Rory at their home while waiting, watching the boxes and he gets bored really quick and mows the lawn and paints the fence and all that sort of stuff. So we, yeah. we'll see him do this again. So the, the doctor is going to go into the church. He says, uh, you know, are, are you armed? And he says, I'm armed with overconfidence, this box and a small screwdriver, <laughs> which yeah. is usually what the doctor is. That's one more thing the doctor usually has, uh, the, yeah. uh, the box with the device. Earlier, Amy had asked him if he has a plan, and he says, "No, no, 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 no. I, I've got a thing. It's it, it's like a plan, but with more grayishness." <laughs> right. <laughs> I do, I do love these. Feel like Moffat uh, little uh, things that he adds into the scripts as little polishes. Oh, and they may have been. I yeah. mean, mm -hmm. Moffat, the showrunner, gets a rewrite on everybody's script. Yeah, and they just feel so much like his style of uh, of, of writing. Uh, oh, yes. So. Uh, we mentioned the uh, the doctor going and seeing the archway with the carving. Uh, the creature ends up sneaking up on the doctor inside the ch church and immediately destroys the mirror because we have to keep the tension mm -hmm. up. Uh, the Amy has shown up and the doctor and Amy hide in the confessional, uh, yep. where it it's uh, the creature can hear them and starts attacking the confessional and uh, Vincent saves them. I I was waiting for a confessional joke, like from the doctor to make mm -hmm. a joke to Amy about confessing her sins, but uh, I, I guess that would. I, I'm actually kind of surprised. I'm kind of surprised they didn't go there, but I wonder how many people in Britain rec would recognize what a confessional is anymore. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, it is a bit of, I mean, the confessional is a cultural knowledge bit, but yeah, it's mm -hmm. perhaps. So the, the doctor tries talking to the Crefeus in, in, because the TARDIS translates, right? But it attacks regardless. And uh, the doctor realizes that it's blind, that the creature is blind, and that's why it was abandoned by the pack. Mm -hmm. They also try to use that to explain why it hasn't eaten any of its victims. Right. That woman's daughter, it, it didn't eat. It killed, but didn't eat. Yeah. And I'm going, um, if you've killed something, you can kind of, if you felt it enough to kill it, you can feel it enough to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if it's not eating its human victims, what is it eating? This <laughs> terrible, cruel creature that, like anything else, needs energy to survive because they're hunters, duh. Apparently mm-hmm. that can fly through space. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Well, and this does explain why it didn't kill Amy. It bumped into her. Like, it didn't see her mm-hmm. and bumped into her instead of, uh, at- yeah. it wasn't attacking her. Also, at this point, Vincent has gone and gotten his easel and has been brandishing it to harm the uh, Crefeus. Right. And he he's ends trying- up stabbing it. Yeah, he's trying to save Amy and the doctor. The doctor's trying to save the creature, uh, but but Vincent hops in and uh, he kill. yeah, he kill- it charges and he kills it and the, the easel's sticking in it, even though it's still invisible. Um, and the doctor says the creature, as it's dying, says it's afraid. And Vincent has this line. And this was a little, a little, eh, this line yeah. was kind of cheesy. It's like the villagers who lash out at him, when, you know, at Vincent when they're frightened. I'm like, mm, not really. So this is, it, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of a stretch. It's also kind of a downer monster victory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, which actually is setting us up for the downer ending to this episode. Yep. Right. Because yeah. and what they're doing here is they're paralleling, uh, very obviously, by the time of the monster's death, they're paralleling the monster and Vincent. Yes. Right. They are similar figures, and the, part of the reason they're similar, at least in many people's interpretation, is because the invisible monster that only Vincent can see and that makes him act crazy is a physicalization metaphor of mental illness. Right. Right. So, so there is a tight identification on a conceptual level between Vincent and the Crefeus in that they are like two sides of the same coin. The Vincent is the visible human manifestation, and the monster is the invisible mental illness that tortures him. Yeah, and the doctor does say at this point, sometimes winning is no fun at all. Uh, so they're really <laughs> acknowledging <laughs> that they're ending that monster on a downer note. But afterward, they lay under the stars, as Vincent describes what he sees in the starry night. So we get this visualization of the starry night painting that he does. Kind of. It's not exact. This is one where they took some liberties. Also, I think, I I wonder about the extent to which this is just what Vincent sees, because he insists on taking the doctors and Amy's hands as they're laying on the ground. And we know the doctor is telepathic. And I, even though. It wasn't explicit, and I couldn't prove it from what they say on the screen. When I first saw this episode, I interpreted this as Vincent is somehow, maybe through the doctor's telepathy, sharing his vision mm. of the sky with them. Yeah. In any in any event, it's a moment of wonder to follow the downer right. that we just had, mm. and this is more setting us up for the ending that's going to involve both wonder and downer. That's true. That's true. Because the next moment we have the goodbye, the first goodbye, Vincent Mm. makes it clear he doesn't think he can survive without them. He's given the doctor his self-portrait in a straw hat, which the doctor says, oh, no, 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 I could never accept such an extraordinary gift. Vincent makes it clear that he would love to have married Amy and had uh, children by the dozen. And then... uh, (laughs) And then they, <laughs> Actually, he doesn't say that just yet. I don't. No, think. he does. He says, uh, uh, "Amy, uh, be good to yourself and be kind to yourself." She says, and he says, "I'll try my best." And Amy says, "And maybe give the beard a little trim before the next time you kiss someone." He says, "I will." And if you tire of this doctor mm. of yours, return, and we will have children by the dozen. And Amy says, "Eek." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that was the yeah. first goodbye. I was thinking that yep. line was in the second. Yeah. 
And then as they start to leave, and then the, the doctor stops and says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he turns and grabs Vincent and takes well, him. Well, and Amy says, yes, I'm starved. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is good. He grabs Vincent and t- brings him to the TARDIS, which has been covered, by the way, in advertisements. That was which, so great. Yeah. I like how he just uses the TARDIS key to slit the advertisements and open the door. Right. Completely ignores them. Yes, because yep. he knows he, he knows what's going to happen when he travels with them. That we get the obligatory. Vincent goes in, sees the big bigger on the inside, and then says, and they say, "I'm mad," <laughs> which is yeah. nice. And they take him to the Musée d'Orsay in twenty ten. Well, uh, there's there's a nice moment actually in the TARDIS, and actually Vincent. We get this little montage where Vincent comes in and sees it's bigger on the inside. Then he goes outside, and we see him checking this out. Yeah. Before we get the and and they say I'm mad line, but then he's asking what does all this stuff on the TARDIS console do, and the Doctor is explaining it in fairly simple terms, making it sound mm-hmm. all very innocent. You know, he said, "Oh, it does many things," and he starts demonstrating. And really, what he's doing is taking the TARDIS through a a, a launch sequence, right? Um, but he's mm-hmm. not telling Vincent we're about to travel in time. Yes. Instead, he's just describing the uh, the effects of what this button does and what that button does. And Vincent asks, what about these? Oh, that's ketchup and that's mustard, <laughs> that's right. which I've never been overly happy about. But and <laughs> But he's making it sound like all the controls are so innocent, like this one makes these lights going and this one makes this noise and this one right. makes everything go tonto, at which <laughs> point everything like starts shaking. Right. You know? Um, <laughs> And Vincent himself, now that these all seem very innocent, is like, oh, and what does this one do as he reaches for it? And the doctor, like, freaks out and gives some some horribly technical <laughs> name for what that is. <laughs> but they they walk him through this launch sequence for the TARDIS. And I find it interesting that they're traveling in time without actually telling him that's what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and when they arrive, he does say, you, you know, Vincent says, where are we? And he says, Paris, 2010 A.D., uh, at the Musée d'Orsay. So he does tell them when he arrives, but he doesn't tell them yeah. before they go. Uh, and we also have, by the way, seen that the flight has burned all the posters off the TARDIS. Uh, yeah, they're just the little ashes. flaming scraps of them are there now. Also, yeah. I like it when someone walks by with like an iPad and, <laughs> and, and, and the doctor is like, ignore that. I've got something much better to show you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I love the fact, like, Vincent is in this museum, and he's seeing all this great art. He wants to stop and look at all of it. Like, he's all the Impressionists mm-hmm. and, the, and the sculptures. And, I, you know, that, that makes sense. I, I could imagine the, this great artist would want to look at all this other great art. Uh, but he takes him to the Van Gogh exhibit, and Vincent is, you know, first he sees all of his paintings and all these people, and he's understandably uh, blown away. And then the doctor grabs Dr. Uh, Black, and ask him to describe the place of Van Gogh in the history of art. And I really like this particular line, which is really, it's, he doesn't just say he's the greatest artist ever. He says, he transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. I really like that description. Mm-hmm. It's not just a great artist. Mm-hmm. That and it fits Vincent's situation, although there's some hyperbole in there. Yeah. Maybe no one will ever do this again. <laughs> yeah. It's important that it's not the first line. Right. Because he needs to build Vincent up 
before saying something that personal. And I like how they have the doctor and Amy position Vincent so he's got his back turned to Dr. Black at this moment. So Dr. Black can't simply recognize, oh, there's a Vincent Van Gogh impersonator in front of me. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's hearing this with his back turned and he's talking about, to me, Vincent is the greatest artist and he's certainly the most popular of the classical artists and things like that. And it's incredibly moving. Yes. And the the actor, his eyes get red and moist, and I admit it. I this this moment is so powerful. I missed up. Yeah, you know, every time watching every this. Time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that that shot too, where the, there's the signs of you know of the exhibit, and all you see are the eyes of Vincent Van Gogh, and they line the camera perfectly, so the actor moves right in place. Yeah, ah. yeah, that's true. Because because they repeat that in a, mm-hmm. in a minute here. But it, it, I just I love that where it's just they they line it up perfectly right. so that he's standing in the same exact spot with the same exact Expression. picture. If yeah. You know. mm-hmm. There's also a nice directorial moment where as they're going into the Vincent Van Gogh room in the in the museum, you know, they have like that image of Vincent Van Gogh's eyes at the doorway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. kind of horizontally on one of the walls. But at the moment Vincent walks past it, he's looking in the opposite direction. Right. So he he doesn't yep. realize he's walking into a room of his own stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of New Who. I mean, really, mm-hmm. yeah. I just I I loved it the first time I saw it and I, I love it every time I see it. I just because of the humanity in it, the beauty yeah. of just this this way that the doctor gives this gift to Vincent. It perhaps mm-hmm. the greatest gift you can give an artist who has no confidence in himself anymore. Uh, which is to show that you are loved. Just to show someone you are loved and will be loved, you know, for hundreds of years in the future. That yeah. is a is a beautiful thing, and I really love seeing that portrayed on screen. Um, um, yeah, and, and this is definitely the, this is the scene that you will see all over, you know, Doctor Who yeah. forums and pages, and I mean, it, it. You're not the only one, Don, who was really you know <laughs> right. grabbed onto this scene. I mean, this is yeah. this is. I would. That's where I, I would argue that this is probably the most beloved scene in modern Who. Yeah, it's, of all you know, of all of them. Yeah, and mm. well done from the writing of this scene to the directing of it to the acting of it. I, just all real good. I like so Vincent turns and he's crying. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? And the doctor thinks, oh, "Are we overwhelming you?" He's like, "No, no, these are tears of joy." And then he gives uh, Doctor Black a kiss on both cheeks and says, "Thank you." And uh, and then he rubs his beard because he realizes he hasn't trimmed it in, before kissing someone else. <laughs> right, right. And, Bla- and Black like kind of walks away and then kind of stops and goes, no, <laughs> like, that can't be. He, he doesn't say that, but, yeah. but he, he, just, he, he has this weird look. Kind of looks at him and just shakes his head and moves on. You know? yeah. I also like the way the yeah. doctor puts the question to Vincent. He, said, he asks, is it too much? Yeah. Because he's recognizing it's a it, it's such a powerful experience, we maybe need to get him. It might be too much for him at the moment. Right, right. And so, what do you think about this? Like the doctor, so always so concerned with the time stream, like keeping the timeline correct and not messing with time, but yet pulling this guy out of his time to this moment, potentially messing everything up. I mean, what what do you did the doctor? know that it's the last year of Vincent's life and so it's not going to change much or what do you think about that I think you're I think you're on the right track there Dom I think that he he had that that awareness that regardless of what he did if anything he gave 
Vincent the hope to continue for those last few months that right. he had left mm-hmm. because, you know, you would see again with the, the bipolar situation where he would be in such depression that, you know, the doctor could, you could see him that they would leave and he would immediately right. take his life right out of depression. But That's because true. he gave him that bit of hope to at least continue for a while longer. It sustained him a little longer than he would have otherwise. What do you think, Jimmy? I think there are a couple of ways of looking at it. I I, I think the doctor knew he was not taking a significant risk with changing history here, because even after they've given Vincent this glimpse into the future and he's had this wonderful moment, Amy is the one going, hey, when we go back to that museum, there's going to be all these new paintings that he got to do that we've never seen before. And the doctor's going, ah, Temper your expectations there. Right. So I think yep. the doctor knew Vincent. He wasn't going to like wreck art history by having having Vincent live for another twenty years. He still he felt whatever this is going to do, it's not going to be that much. Right. I think there's you could debate whether he because Vincent has just said, "I don't think I can survive without y'all," mm-hmm. and yes. so maybe this is his way of giving him a booster shot to help sustain him for that extra year, or maybe it's simply what the doctor says at the end that life is a pile of good things and bad things, and we've just added to his pile of good things, but that wasn't going to change anything else. Yeah, because as you see them leaving, you know, they've, they've, they've brought him back, they've landed in an olive grove, and as they leave, Vincent is like, this changes everything. But, and even as the TARDIS disappears, he still has the look on his face of joy. Like, mm-hmm, he's still, mm-hmm. th- he's, it's, he's got that hope that's sustaining him as they leave, so he doesn't feel quite so alone and and like because before he said like i I fear i will not survive with you leaving so um so and then he of course this is also when he says are you sure marriage is out of the question to amy (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, although she says i'm not really the marrying kind which is kind of interesting uh that uh yeah Mm -hmm. she said that but yes amy says uh time can be rewritten i know it can and uh the doctor says i'm not sure there will be new paintings uh but which is an interesting for her to say because rory Right, right. You know, time can be rewritten. Uh, so, the, and Vincent v- bears a passing similarity to Rory. Yeah. Also, I think is something that we're meant to pick up on subconsciously, and this is definitely playing with the whole Rory is missing theme. At one point, yep. the Doctor accidentally refers to Vincent and Amy as Rory and Amy. Yes, yep. yes, yes. Uh, we did. We t- totally. Uh, all, by the way, um glossed over the fact that when they when the doc when vincent talks about amy's red hair and his red hair and so at the they was like they would have lots of ginger children yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they had got married but so they get back there and amy is you know devastated to hear dr black saying oh here's vincent van, van gogh who committed suicide at only 37 yeah. um and the, again like i said before it goes back to the fact that you just can't you just can't fix mental illness with happy thoughts and a positive attitude. It's a real disease, requires real treatment. But also, yeah. depression is not a moral failing or a lack of character or integrity in a person. Mm-mm. It's a disease. And I, as a, if, I can't help putting myself in the time traveler role in this, because there's one word I would, given the bipolar symptoms that Vincent displays in this, there is one word I would love to say to him. Lithium. <laughs> right. Because yeah. lithium, element three, plays a stabilizing role with bipolar disorder. It doesn't help if you're already in a manic phase or a 
or a depressive phase. If you're Mm -hmm. at a peak or a trough, it's not going to help you. But if you take it consistently, when you're normal, it'll help keep you from either having manic and depressive phases or having them as extremely. Right. And and, And just think about, as a time traveler who has a scientific background, how tempting it would be to meet someone like Vincent and say, find lithium and take it regularly. Yep. You know, this is, wow. yeah. this, this, because that was doable in this time frame. It's not like telling a medieval peasant or an ancient Egyptian, take lithium. That lithium had been discovered by this point and you could get it at a chemist's. Yeah. Well, it was interesting in southern, southwestern Oregon, the Rogue River area, lithium was naturally in the water supply. So it actually became kind of resort for people who are dealing with manic depressive wow. or uh, um, bipolar because it would mm-hmm. settle that out and people could live there and you could drink the water, you know, and then wow. naturally receive that, that lithium. Um, obviously, you know, since now with modern chemistry and stuff like that, they don't do that anymore, but the, it used to, it was, it became, of course it also helps. It's a very beautiful mountainous area. So that helps too. It would help if you, the living in a rainy Pacific Northwest uh, rains all the time. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they have a higher incidence of depression and suicide in the Pacific Northwest. So, uh, the fact that there's the lithium in the water, that's an interesting, uh, maybe coincidence or not, maybe not so coincident. <laughs> One thing to notice too, when Amy, and I, I kind of hinted at this, but when Amy walked into the, 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 the gallery exhibit after they yeah. dropped him off, they did that same exact camera shot where her eyes lined up with Vincent's. That's right. Mm. That's right. On the, on the wall. So it, mm. they, they did that same exact camera shot and she was looking the same way right. that Vincent did. So we get that contrast between those two moments, the joy and the sorrow. Uh, exactly. Interesting. And to give us a so after you've killed Spock, you still need to find a way to end on a positive note. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> and so we find that there is a painting there of the sunflowers, which yep. now Amy has played the bootstrap paradox role in causing that because she was the one who convinced him to paint sunflowers. And on the vase, even though the Crefeus's face is now missing from the church at Auvergne painting. Yep. Now, the sunflowers in the vase painting has for Amy written yes. on it. Yep. In English. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, the TARDIS uh, translating. TARDIS <laughs> translating. The, okay, that's right. That's right. Uh, I did notice, uh, and I have, to, I have to be the guy who points it out, the, the, uh, the set designer, the prop designer who painted over the Crefeus didn't do a great job. You could still kind of see it <laughs> underneath <laughs> the paint. So, you know, oh, point it out. It could maybe digital effect on that. Anyway, time can be repainted. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. This is where we get the uh, if we had if we got married, our kids would have had very very red hair. Uh, and the doctor says the ultimate ginger because if if you remember, the doctor keeps wanting to be a ginger when he regenerates. Yeah. Uh. So that's that's it. Uh. Any last thoughts, Father Corey? Any last thoughts on this? Just one one thing. You know, we sometimes we bring up when they have popular music and. They, as they had this, a song towards the end there where it's Chances by Athlete. And I've never heard the song except here, and I've never heard of the, the artist, but I just wanted to at least bring yeah. that up that, you know, they, they, they did bring in again another popular song or song that probably was much more popular in Britain, obviously, than Right, right. Yeah. I'd never heard the song either, but it certainly works here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jimmy, last uh, thoughts? So two things. Uh, the first one, I think this is the best of the historical figure episodes. But historical figure episodes are still not my preferred type of episode. Even this, even despite the ending. I mean, the ending is super mega awesome. Mm-hmm. But 
despite the ending, it's still not my favorite type of story to meet a historical figure. Right. But it, this one is nowhere near as annoying as most of the ones where it's just unabashed praise for the historical figure. Actually, next to this one, as much as I hate to say it, probably my next favorite Let's Meet a Historical Figure episode is, now maybe not First Doctor times because we've got the Romans coming up and I, I look forward to seeing Nero again. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some great stuff actually in Marco Polo with the First Doctor and, um, oh, not Genghis Khan. Maybe it is Genghis Khan with a historical figure in that one. There's some really great stuff. But of more recent ones, since the age of historicals ended, previous favorite treatment was probably meeting H.G. Wells with the mm. Sixth Doctor, mm. where they didn't make a big deal out of the fact it was H.G. Wells at all. They just called him Herbert until the very end. Right. And you had to know who he was in order to get what was going on. So this is another one where instead of putting the historical figure on this worship pedestal, we get a much more balanced, realistic portrait, and that makes it much more interesting uh, as a story to me. That's true. Also, one other thing. So there's a book by talking about what Vincent Van Gogh was like in real life and how people didn't have a lot nice to say about him, like in that restaurant. Well, here's something from real life, from our universe. Mm -hmm. There's a book. It's a book on mathematics. It's called The Drunkard's Walk, How Randomness Rules Our Lives by the mathematician and physicist Leonard Mladnow. And here's a little story he's got in this. In the mid-1960s, some 90 years old and in great need of money to live on, a French woman named Jeanne Calmet made a deal with a 47-year-old lawyer. She sold him her apartment for the price of a low monthly subsistence payment with the agreement that the payments would stop upon her death, at which point she would be carried out and he could move in. The lawyer must have known that Mrs. Calmet had already exceeded the French life expectancy by more than 10 years, because she's 90. He may not have been aware of Bayes' theory, however, nor that the relevant issue was not whether she should be expected to die in minus 10 years, but that her life expectancy, given that she had already made it to 90, was about six more years. Still, <laughs> he had to feel comfortable believing that any woman who as a teenager had met Vincent Van Gogh in her father's shop would soon be joining Van Gogh in the hereafter. For the record, she found the artist Dirty, badly dressed, and disagreeable. <laughs> <laughs> and the punchline to the story is that she ends up going on to outlive the lawyer. Because the, the relevant question is not what's your average life expectancy in abstract, but yeah, right. what's the average life expectancy given that you've made it to a certain age? Right. Yeah. If you're the, if you're the type of person who can outlive the average, then yeah. what kind of lifespan are you going to have? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I might have heard that one before. You might have even said it before in Mysterious hmm. World, but uh, that is a good one. But, well, it seems like Van Gogh was accurately portrayed here. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, if not everyone was badly dressed in historical times, probably most people were, and many also would have been, you know, they didn't have so many baths back then. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, let's wrap things up uh, by first taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Susan K., John E., Zach B., Ed M., and Michael F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. Uh, so that's it from us. What do you think of Vincent and the Doctor? Do, do you love it as much as, <laughs> as we do, or at least that the that last part of it? What do you think? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or by sending us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the third Doctor story, The Claws of Axos. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, my experience is that there is, you know, surprisingly, always hope. Right. This is going to be fun.